is from Acts 8, 24 through 40. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 785 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his own way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Isostus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God. Well, this is a familiar story in the Bible, and uh, one that I think many of you have probably heard. And I think it's just a beautiful story as it talks about the continuing expansion of the gospel. We've been studying the book of Acts together, and in the book of Acts, we're having the, the, the writer of Acts, whose name is Luke, tell us how the gospel moved, how the, this little church moved from a small group of people in Jerusalem all the way to Rome. It ends up in Rome, and it tells us about essentially the westward expanse of the gospel. And uh, so it's a, uh, we saw last week that the gospel had spread into Samaria, that it came about as a result of persecution, but now we're going to see that the gospel has moved into Africa. And it came by direct vision from God, which said to Philip, I want you to go to uh, go to this road and talk to this person. And as you, read, as you heard the story read for you, you discovered that, of course, when, when uh, Philip went along the road, he found an Ethiopian eunuch along with his chariots along the way, and his conversation with that man led to his conversion to the gospel. And so we have the first African, the first person of no Jewish re- relationship at all. Samaritans had a 
quasi-Jewish relationship. The first non, entirely non-Jewish-oriented person was actually an African all the way from Ethiopia, or we would say Nubia probably today. And so as we take a look at this text, we're going we're gonna to have to notice this morning two things that I want you to see. One is we want to see the global mandate of the gospel, or the global reach of the gospel. That the gospel, you can go on, Brian, that the gospel is meant for the whole world, not just for one small ethnic group, but that the gospel is meant for the whole world. And I picked out a, a painting that's, uh, that's uh, in the, uh, hung up in uh, 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 Europe somewhere, uh, in, in Great Britain, I should say. It's St. Philip Baptizing the Ethiopian Eunuch by Alter Kuyp from 1655. And you can see it's quite a beautiful painting there that I was able to use as the backdrop for your PowerPoint presentation today. And if you read this story, you'll see that there are some unusual main figures. The first unusual main figure is Philip. Philip is not a missionary. He's not a, 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 a paid clergyman. He's a layperson, a person who has already shown that he wants as many people as possible to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Philip is one of the guys who comes, and he's the one pictured in there. He's actually baptizing the eunuch. And that is the second main person. He is an Ethiopian. The Bible says he is an Ethiopian eunuch. Now think about this for a moment. This is a black African. And not is he just a black African, but he is a eunuch. That means that he was castrated as a young boy. He was trained to be part of the official uh, uh, government workings of the, of, the, of, of, the, of the country. And unless you were part... Unless you were part of the royal family, if you were a man who worked in the very high levels of government, you would be castrated for the protection of the royal family from you. So this man had been castrated. He was a eunuch, and it was common for high officials who were not in the royal family for that to have happened. Now, we'd like to notice a couple things that would just kind of get our arms around this story under this whole idea of the global mandate uh, of the gospel. Well, first of all, notice the great difference between these two people. The one man is a Grecian Jew. He's a Jew with a Greek-speaking background. He's been raised in the, uh, in the Jewish religion. He's a devout, he was a devout follower of the one God of Israel, and he was taught to live a life entirely separate from all of those who were around him. He was taught to become a special people, and they had their own act of uh, of, uh, uh, of separation, and it was the Jewish act of circumcision. This marked them out as being set apart for God's people. This was very important to them. And so we, we have this man who's a Jewish man committed to the law who now has become a follower of Jesus and uh, believes that Jesus is God's Son come into the world, given his life for the salvation of the whole world. So we see him that way. But then he had this other man who was of an entirely different race than himself. He's black. The Jewish man is Middle Eastern. We should not forget that this is a Middle Eastern country, not a Western European faith that we, you know. He was Middle Eastern, okay? But there were huge differences between them. This man had been sexually altered because of his uh, responsibilities there. And he was a kind of person that the average Jewish person would have nothing to do with, never have anything to do with. We see the big differences between these people. That's the first thing I want you to notice. And then we want, I want you to notice also that this, this encounter in, uh, occurs purely by God's initiative. 
This was a divine encounter. God's direct intervention had to occur in order for this conversation to have happened. We see how although the gospel was meant to spread across the whole world, Jesus himself said it in the first chapter in the eighth verse, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But it seems as though without God's help, these people would have remained a small Jewish community. So God allowed persecution to spread them out from the uh, city of Jerusalem and in Judea. That's how the gospel spread to Samaria. But now God wants to go to Africa. God wants this message to go all together to a different continent. And so God, through special revelation, comes to Philip and tells him to go to Africa. You see, it's all the way through here. It says, at the beginning it says, And an angel of the Lord put him on the road. An angel of the Lord said, Go down to that road. And then when Philip goes down the road, it says that, uh, uh, that Philip, the angel said to him, Go talk to that man. Now, keep in mind, this is an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a, he's a high government official. I should have mentioned that already. He's like the CFO of the country. I mean, he's in charge of the treasury for the queen. I mean, he has got massive power. And one of the things I like about this picture is you see a, an entourage of people. He would not have traveled alone, not a wealthy man like that. There are other people who are around. And so Philip has come, and he's very different. It would be very unusual to go and talk to a person like that. For one thing, he's fabulously wealthy, all right? All the other differences as well. And yet the Spirit says to him, go talk to that man. And, the, and, and, what it basically, and he's on a chariot. See, he was riding in a chariot. Um, and, uh, and so in order to go talk to the man, it says that Philip had to go kind of run alongside of him. The Spirit said, go do that. And then after this person was baptized, we see that the Spirit uh, pulled Philip away. I don't know if he vanished into thin air or whatever, but the, the Spirit sent him back off and he went off to Caesarea. So the point to see about this is that this was such an important encounter that God wanted to happen, that God intervened to make it happen. God, through an angel, came to Philip, said, go down to that robe. God, through His Spirit, said to Philip, go talk to that man. And after this man had been baptized out of his faith for Christ, God pulled him away. So the fact that the gospel spread into this other country, across this ethnic boundary, towards uh, people very different from the people to whom Jesus had initially come, lets us know that this gospel is meant to have a global reach. So we learn here that the Spirit wants these racial barriers broken down. It's so hard for us to see this, but what the gospel, what the epistles tell us later is that God has created one new family out of the whole earth. We still have our ethnic differences. We have lots of differences among us, but God meant to create one whole new family. God wants racial barriers broken, and this is such a difficult task that the Spirit had to directly intervene to make that happen. Because you know how it is. We all like being by ourselves. We like to be with our kind of people. Look at us. We're all our kind of people. Well, most of us anyway, right? The gospel is meant not just to be only our kind of people. The gospel is meant to create a new kind of people, not covering over our ethnic or background or educational differences. We're still different people. This is all part of God's blessing, but we become a new people. It grieves God, I believe, when we are contemptuous, disdainful, 
disrespectful to people who are different than ourselves. I hope you catch yourself when you start to think that and do that. You see, one of the things that we want to see right here at the beginning in the early days of the church is that Christianity does not belong to one culture over against another culture. It's so important to see this. Christianity is not a, a European religion. Christianity is not, although sometimes people have approached it that way, right? Yes, there have been mistakes in that way, but we see that Christianity belongs to every culture. We see it was a Jewish faith at the first, and then it moved into the Samaritan ethnic group, and then now it's moving into the African ethnic group. Soon we're going to see a Jewish Pharisee who responds to the gospel. His name was Saul. And a little bit later, right in these rolling of these chapters, we're going to see a Roman centurion respond to the gospel. And in every single case, it was not the humans who said, let's go do that. In every single case, it was God, in most cases, who directly made it happen. In the first case with the Samaritans, admittedly, it was persecution which spread them out, and, and Philip took the initiative. But here the African heard the gospel because an angel came to Philip. And here the, 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 the Jewish Pharisee named Saul responded to the gospel because he had a vision on the way to persecute Christians. And a little bit later, I think it's the 10th chapter of this book, a Roman centurion receives the gospel because God puts a vision, an angel comes to that centurion, and an angel goes to Peter at the same time to bring those two people together. You see, God is intensely interested in creating out of every people group new followers of Jesus. In fact, the Great Commission itself says, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. You've heard that perhaps? It really doesn't say specifically all the nations. It says panta te ethne, all panta te the ethne. What does that sound like? Ethnic groups? All the ethnic groups, all the peoples, there are meant to be communities of faith within every people group. Jesus said it himself. He said it in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, which I just quoted for you. He says it in Acts chapter 1, which I just quoted for you earlier. And we see the Spirit making that happen because they probably would have never done it without the Spirit setting, you know, you see. And, and if you think about the global landscape today, I was fascinated to discover this as I researched this topic this week. You know that there is no culture which owns Christianity? We think, because we're mostly of Western European descent, we think of the church of Christianity as being sort of American or European. But you know that that is not really the case? Not really the case at all. You see, well, let me explain it to you. Um, if you were to take 100 coffee beans and separate them out over the course of a, of a map. Remember the game Risk, where you, set, you have these things? Listen as coffee beans. And you put all the Christians, divided up those hundred coffee beans, and put them where they, where they are, according to where Christians actually live. You split up the pie of the hundred. Does that make sense? Okay, you with me? I'm not making this illustration very easy to follow, but uh, hopefully you can do that. You would take, first of all, 25 of those coffee beans, and you would put them in Central and South America in the Caribbean. 25% of all the Christians in the world live in those countries, in, the, in that area. 
and you would take 22 of those beans and you'd put them in Africa, the continent of Africa. And then you'd take 15 of those beans and you'd put them in Asia. And that number is rapidly growing, okay? 15 of the percent. And then you would take, the numbers may not come out exactly right, 12 and put them in North America and about 20 in Europe, all right? Now, if you think about this, imagine this map. You would have your beans, what, spread across the whole world, more or less, more or less equally distributed. Now, I hope that that makes you really proud to be a Christian. I hope that makes you really grateful that the gospel is not just us. And we should never, ever forget that. We tend to be so ethnocentric, as if Jesus was blonde-haired and blue-eyed, blue-eyed, right? I mean, he was a Middle Eastern Jew, you know? And the gospel has moved into all different cultures, and in every culture, it has developed something of the flavor of that culture. That's why you go to worship down in Central or South America, you'll experience a very different kind of worship, but it's all about Jesus. You go into various cultures, and you see them worshiping. Now, having said that, Think the same illustration. If you were to put, have a hundred beans to represent all the Buddhists in the world, you would put 96 of those beans, excuse me, 88 of those beans in East Asia. 88% of all the Buddhists in the world live in that area. If you were to take those beans and, uh, and, and have them represent all of the Muslims in the world. Now think about this. This is from 2010. All the Muslims in the world, 96 of them would be there in the Middle Eastern area. 96. Yes, it's true. There are Muslims everywhere, but it's concentrated in that area. 98% of Hindus live in India, South Asia, three basic countries there, okay? Christianity is the one religion which does not suck people into its own ethnic identity, you see? It allows people to be followers of Jesus wherever they happen to be. The Jesus message is adaptable to all different circumstances. And so we see the gospel spreading rampantly. You know, in the in a hundred and so years ago, in Korea, there were zero percent Christians, and now there are about 40 percent Christians. China is doing the same thing. There's a massive country. It's growing leaps and bounds. Africa went from 9% to 50% Christian in 100 years. You see, the Holy Spirit brings the gospel of Jesus into the garb of every single country. The same thing that led God to become a Middle Eastern Jew in the first century, clothing himself in human flesh. We see that God represents himself throughout all the earth. And so we see the global reach of the gospel. That ought to change your worldview. That ought to change the way you think about things. That is, those are your brothers, your sisters, and God made it happen. The global reach of the gospel. The good news is for all the world. And it's a miracle, I think, that what Jesus said would happen, in fact, did happen and is still happening. So while we in North America and Europe are almost becoming post-Christian, we find the gospel is growing by leaps and bounds in, in, in China, um, in South and Central America, 
and in Africa, and we should rejoice in that. The beans are all over, you see? That's the beauty of the global reach of the gospel, and it began there on a dusty road on the way to Gaza, okay? That's the first point. Secondly, the personal appeal of the gospel. The personal appeal of the gospel. The good news isn't just for all the world. The good news is for every person in the world. Now, as we read this story, and for many of you it will be a familiar story, you will note that Philip goes down, uh, goes down and he notes that there's a man. He sees a, a man. Let me get my flashlight here so I can see this. Um, he sees this Ethiopian eunuch, all right? Now, let's take a look at this Ethiopian eunuch. What do we learn about this guy? We learn about him a couple of things. Number one, we, it says, oops, sorry. A little trouble keeping the organist here. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So we see this man, he's a black man, he's a wealthy black man, he's a eunuch, and yet this man is a man of a tremendous spiritual interest. And so what has he done? He has gotten and made arrangements to leave Ethiopia and take a 1,000-mile journey to go to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that he had gone there to the temple, okay? That he had gone towards uh, the temple uh, to, uh, to worship. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and that's what you would do in the temple. He has left his kingdom to go worship at the temple. Uh, and uh, um, and he's, he's made tremendous sacrifices for himself to be a leader in his country. And so he takes this thousand-mile journey to Jerusalem. Why? He's seeking something fresh. And so the, we don't know because he must have known about Jerusalem, uh, the, the you know, Mosaic system and the Jews, and he wanted to take this venture, and I think he has a spiritual hunger. And so he goes there, and when he goes there, what does he discover? Well, one of the things he had to have discovered is that he was excluded from the temple. There were certain times when you were excluded because you had been... Uh, you know, around the dead body or touching unclean food or whatever. But this man was permanently excluded from the temple by Mosaic law. Because of what had been done to his body, he was never allowed to get into the temple. This was a permanent rule. So when he got there, he found that he could not experience what he was going there for. But somehow he picks up a, uh, a, a scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading in the 40th to the, 60, the, 50, uh, the 60th chapters in there, he's reading specifically now in the 56th chapter. And he's been reading through here. And if you were familiar with the, the book of Isaiah, you would know this is a very specific part of the Scripture where Isaiah is beginning to talk about this servant who comes to rescue his people. And one of the things that he had discovered, I'm sure to his joy, just a few verses after the part written in the Scripture, listen to what it says in the 56th 
chapter. He said, it says in Isaiah 56, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, the eunuch say, he read this in the 56th chapter, I'm sure, and let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. A eunuch cannot have sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. In the scroll of Isaiah, there was this promise that someday he would no longer be on the outside looking in. He would no longer be excluded. And I'm sure he's reading, rereading this text. And all the way through this 40th to the 60th chapters of Isaiah, we have this emphasis on the servant and the servant songs. And so he happens to reading providentially right here in the middle of Isaiah chapter 53, which speaks about the fact that God would send a servant, uh, um, send a uh, 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 someone who would suffer. Let me read it. I want to read the whole section for you because it's a great section of Scripture if you're not familiar with it. Okay? Isaiah chapter 53 says, Sing, O barren one who did not... Oops, that's the wrong chapter. Who has believed our report and to whom has the art of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender plant like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb sled to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. He's asking Philip, who's this talking about? And Philip has the joy of telling him, this is talking about Jesus Although we, like sheep, have gone astray. And he was cut off so that we could be brought in. He was excluded so we could be included. He was put away so we could be put in. And so he tells them this glorious gospel story. The Bible says he talks to them about Jesus. He took our exclusion so we could receive his inclusion. He became unclean so we could be cleansed. Yes, this Ethiopian official 
found himself welcomed in a way he never knew he could be. And that for which he had sought in Jerusalem and been disappointed, he now found on the way back to his homeland. And he found it because of the message of Philip. Yes, the personal appeal of the gospel is that every one of us, no matter what we've done, all of us can respond in faith to that. And then we can experience that public recognition of that faith we have in Christ by being baptized in the name of Jesus as, as the Ethiopian eunuch was. Yes, I hope that you will not just think about the global reach of the gospel, that it's for everyone, but that you will also remember that it's for you too so that you can respond to the good news of Jesus. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, we are grateful and we're thankful that you gave your life so we could have new life, that you received our penalty so that we could receive your righteousness, that you became our substitute. You are the lamb who was slain. Father, there's a mystery in this, but help us to recognize that we are included, and so too is everyone. Help us to live that inclusive, welcoming way. May we be attentive to your spirit, as he may say to us, go down there by that desert road. Go talk to that person. And may we find ways to cross all the barriers which divide people. And may we personally come to faith in Christ, responding to him as the one who gave our life, so we gave his life, so we could have new life in Jesus' name. Amen.